Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday. It is March 16th, folks. The Ides of March. Julius Caesar was warned to beware. We're going to talk about some of the things impacting the world of markets and the world of agriculture. And we are going to have a good show. Today, we're going to talk first with Chris Bliley. He's the Senior Vice President of Regulatory Affairs with Growth Energy about a study that came out about a month ago that really did away with a lot of what we currently understand with regard to ethanol science. Chris will fill us in on some of the details and how that might not have been the most accurate study performed. Then we're going to talk with folks from the Independent Community Bankers Association. Mark Scanlon, their head of regulatory, or excuse me, rural affairs, is going to join us to take a look at the ECORA bill that is currently in Congress and how it could change the way banks are taxed on real estate loans for agriculture. We'll have that conversation a little bit later on. And then Ken Zuckerberg, the grain economist, lead grain economist, from CoBank will join us. We're going to take a look at this situation in Russia and Ukraine and how it continues to impact the market and availability throughout the year. First and foremost, let's get to Chris Bliley. Chris, we talked about this study here a month or so ago when it came out. This is the University of Wisconsin ethanol study from Professor Tyler Lark. Growth Energy disagrees with a lot of the conclusions. Can you tell us in thumbnail what was this study about? Uh, sure. I, I mean, at top level, it looked at the life cycle greenhouse gas emissions of ethanol, and it, its conclusions are really, you know, untethered from reality and really so far outside the large body of academic research. I mean, you've got numerous agencies, USDA, EPA, the Department of Energy, uh, California Air Resources Board, you know, it, it vastly differs from what they've found. In fact, the latest research shows that plant-based, cleaner-burning biofuels like ethanol are about nearly 50% reduction compared to gasoline. And so that's why this, this, this study is so flawed. It relies on a lot of cherry-picked and misleading data. It fails to account for uh, the cost of oil uh, in production agriculture. It also you know, assesses a land-use penalty that is nearly 10 times what the latest research shows. And Chris, that land use penalty, that's come up time and time again as we're having these conversations about figuring out carbon intensity scores for corn and soybeans. What what does the metrics, what do the metrics look like for calculating land use? How do these groups have so much leeway to plug in the number that best fits their need? Well, there, part of it is there are numerous models out there that look at this, and there's been a ton of different research done but I think the trend, as you found with the increase in production of agriculture and with biofuels, is that we've gotten continually better on land use. I mean, as you might expect, you know, crop yields continue to improve. You know, we're producing more and more on less land. Unfortunately, some of the, some of the studies that look at this have failed to really account for that. And so you've got the latest research that has, you know, a, a very minor penalty for land use change versus some like this Lark study that assess, you know, a much bigger penalty. And so, you know, plants continue to innovate on biofuel production, but if they're assessed with this huge land use penalty, it, you know, it really negates some of the innovations we've had both on the ag side as, as well as on the biofuel side. So it's, it's critical that any model that looks at life cycle greenhouse gas emissions gets the details right, and land use is really one of those critical details that, that needs to be addressed. I know Emily Score recently wrote a letter to Department of Energy Secretary Granholm about this study. Chris, are there concerns the DOE might incorporate some of the assumptions and some of the results from this study into their official models? Well, I think our concern is that the DOE also overlooks Argonne National Lab, who does the GREET model, which shows almost the opposite of the LARC study. It shows very little land use change associated with the production of agriculture. It also continues to show innovation in ag as well as in biofuel production. And so, 
you know, a lot of what we said in our letter is this is inconsistent with what you have said and with what others at the federal federal other federal agencies have said about ethanol. Um, and so we encouraged DOE to look at that and, and really rectify the situation, how it's so inconsistent. Um, and so that's why we've written to, to the Department of Energy, um, you know, and, and part of it, too, I agree with you. The Department of Energy and EPA are looking at life cycle emissions uh, because they really haven't looked at it in 12 years. And so, you know, we're arguing almost the opposite is that, look, we've continued to innovate. Agriculture has continued to innovate. We're not actually getting credit for the things that we're doing to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And we're clearly a climate solution. Um, but unfortunately, studies like this really, you know, go against all of the body of evidence out there. And they, they muddy the water for these policy discussions happening in D.C. Chris, are there legislators or regulators who have grabbed this University of Wisconsin study to use as, as a cudgel against ethanol? Well, certainly our critics have, you know, grabbed studies like this and, and continue to criticize ethanol. Uh, but, you know, today we're, we need more homegrown renewable solutions like ethanol, not less. I mean, we're seeing a global crisis, uh, you know, with imported oil. We're seeing gas costs, you know, astronomical, frankly, and we need more low-cost biofuels that can not only reduce, uh, you know, cost at the pump, but are going to address climate and lower greenhouse gas emissions. So, yes, of course, some of our critics are going to take this and use it as their latest talking point, but, you know, want a clear look at all of the science at all of the data, at, you know, the practices, the increases yields at the farm, you know, it's clear that biofuels are a winner. Chris, longer term, as we discuss this modeling and, and how to make assumptions for plugging into these models, do you anticipate a broad umbrella of acceptable science in ethanol to develop or a more standardized way to categorize these models and their components as we go forward? Well, I, I talked a little bit about the Department of Energy's Argonne uh, GREET model. And really, if you look at carbon policies around the country, California has used the GREET model, although they've made some modifications that we think should be changed. Oregon has used the GREET model. Washington State has actually just proposed using the GREET model. The GREET model, again, continues to update. It continues to reflect the latest in ag innovation as well as biofuel innovation. Um, and so we're hopeful that as policymakers move forward, they'll look more at the GREET model and the assumptions made there, as well as many of the updates that, that better reflect what's happening on the farm and at the plant. And so that's where our focus has been. There's also some sci other science that has looked at the GREET model and, and similar sort of similar calculations, and it actually shows even lower land use change. So I think we're really focused there and really showing our improvements um, as, a, as an industry as well as in agriculture. Absolutely. It's good to get those, those improvements set in stone in the science. Chris Bliley, Senior Vice President of Regulatory Affairs with Growth Energy, thanks for talking to us to bring us up to speed on this issue. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. And folks, stay tuned. When AOA returns, we're going to talk ECORA with our friends from the Independent Community Bankers Association. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. 
No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. Your diesels are your engines of prosperity, so they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP Engine Oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger, from farming to construction to trucking. Visit FSGoldStandard.com or talk with your local FS Energy Specialist. FS, bringing you what's next. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We talk a lot about regulatory policy on this program because regulations impact agriculture in a lot of different ways. When we think about them at first, we tend to think about regulations that apply to what's happening on the ground on our arms and the way they change and the way that impacts our practices. But there are other regulations that happen in the supply chain or the ag value chain that impact the bottom line to America's farmers. And one place those regula regulations can be changed is in the world of finance. There is a bill currently in both the House and the Senate. It's called the ECORA bill, Enhancing Credit Opportunities in Rural America. And we've got two guests on in this segment to discuss it. Joining me will be Mark Scanlon. He's the Senior Vice President of Ag and Rural Policy with Independent Community Bankers of America. Mark, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Mike. It's a privilege and pleasure to be here. And we're going to be talking with Alan Keller. He's the Senior Vice President of Legislative Policy with the ICBA. And Alan, appreciate you having, having being on the show with us. Good morning, Mike. I'm happy to be here. Alan, let's start with you, since you're on the legislative policy side. Bring us up to speed. What is ECORA in the short version? What does this bill propose to do? What it does is it would provide that interest paid on certain agricultural loans are not taxable to the lender. And the way this would help farmers and ranchers is it would make it possible for the lender to offer a lower interest rate. When the lender is not paying tax, they can reduce that interest rate. That makes sense. Mark, as you think about how this could have an impact in rural America, I, I guess first I'll ask you, does ICBA have a position on this ECORA bill as of yet? Well, Mike, um, we were very instrumental in helping get the bill introduced and, uh, and the ECORA stands for Enhancing Credit Opportunities for rural America, and we think two of the biggest needs, you know, in, in an environment where inflation is uh, now at 10% and expected to rise further and producers are facing higher energy costs and fertilizer costs and interest rates are expected to start going up as of today, 
uh, due to the Fed's uh, rate increases, which could range anywhere from four to seven. Uh, we think it's very important that farmers and ranchers be able to reduce the interest expense that they have that they're going to have to pay. So Ecora would help them do that, and also in terms of housing loans in rural America, which we can talk about more in a, in a moment, but uh, basically allowing rural homeowners uh, to get more credit, and we think it would spur more development of uh, manufacturing of homes in rural areas, which uh, has been reported by many sources to be a big need in rural America. And Mark, when we think of what impact this could have at the consumer level, the ag producer level, when they're going in to meet with their lenders, the bank not paying taxes on the interest of their loans is expected to lower interest rates. Do we have, has there been research on how much reduction could be expected should ECORA pass? Well, and I'll invite Alan to jump on this too, but if banks are at corporate level are paying a, a 21% tax rate, they could pass that savings on to borrowers. So if you had a uh, $100,000 loan, for example, it could reduce it perhaps by 20000 uh, If the interest expense was 100000 it could reduce it you know, to $80,000. So it could be significant to have a approximately 20% drop in their uh, interest expense. Yeah, I think saving 20% when we're seeing inputs climb the way they are is certainly music to a lot of producers' ears. Alan, Mark was, was throwing that over to you. Have you been studying the research on this topic as well? How else could this benefit rural America? Well, in addition to the, the interest rate uh, lowering, which um, it, it's hard to say exactly how that would play out in the market. But as Mark says, it could be up to a, a 20% uh, decrease. And this, as, as Mark touched on, this would apply not only to um, agricultural loans, but to single-family residential mortgages that are in rural areas with a population of 2,500 or less. We know that uh, housing in these areas can be a challenge, so it would help with that as well. Absolutely. And Alan, on the legislative side, as you have been talking to legislators, both congresspeople and senators, what has been the response so far? How has the momentum been building for ECORA? Well, we've had a lot of interest in this legislation. Um, we we are currently asking members of Congress to, to co-sponsor it. Um, there, there's strong support for both bills. There's, by, importantly, bipartisan support on the House side. So what we would ask your listeners to do is to contact their member of Congress and their, and their two senators and to ask them to co-sponsor the House and Senate bills and also to talk to other farmers and ranchers to generate interest. This bill has momentum. Um, we're hoping to, to strengthen that momentum momentum, keep it going, keep up the drum beat. Indeed, that always helps. Mark, I wanted to ask you a question. As you get out in, in your, your role as the rural affairs of, as senior vice president, you're out speaking with banks in rural America. What has been the response from bank to this ECOR bill? Are they optimistic? Are they hopeful? Or is how do they view this? Mike, I might mention just to follow up on a previous question for a second, there's uh, 32 co-sponsors in the House and uh, about 10 senators in the Senate have sponsored the bill. And uh, we keep getting more all the time. So the momentum is growing for it. In terms of how the uh, bankers feel, they're very excited about it because they feel like it would place them on a uh, more competitive playing field, uh, particularly for uh, you know high quality ag loans, but also allow banks to make more loans to young beginning small farmers so they're very enthused about it um what they're what's happening now is that they're competing uh for the same customers making the same loans on the same terms but they have to pay tax interest their taxes on the interest income whereas other lenders uh competing for these loans do not so it does help level the playing field for these banks and also makes them more economically viable 
we think it's very important that banks remain economically viable so they continue to serve the local uh, business needs and uh, consumer needs in their area. We often hear from non-bankers that, you know, they were able to, from consumers, that they were able to start a business or get a very important loan uh, that from their local bank that they weren't able to get from a larger bank that turned them down. So the role of community banks uh, is very important, especially in rural communities, and especially at a time when the uh, number of banks are consolidating. Indeed, uh, and the the credit requirements of ag might be climbing. Sorry, Alan, go ahead. Oh, just to tag on to what Mark was saying, the, the market works best for farmers and ranchers when there are a, a large number of banks, robust, healthy banks looking to lend to farmers and ranchers, and the ACORA Act would support that. It would strengthen community bank viability, and we believe that's best for farmers and ranchers. Indeed. And ECORA specifically, Mark touched on this, is designed to level the playing field so it only applies to those banks with FDIC insured deposits. For our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the ins and outs of finance, Alan, how does that differentiate community banks and large country other lending institutions? Well, any, any bank, large, small, or medium, is going to be FDIC insured this would not be available to a a credit union, for example, is not FDIC insured, but they are already not taxed. So that specification of being FDIC insured is really demarcating banks from credit unions, from farm credit system lenders. And that's the key. That's where the playing field is being leveled with a core is ideally, should this pass in both the House and the Senate, it will level the taxation playing field between banks, your your conventional uh, banking lender or uh, credit unions, co-ops, farm credit system. They'll be on the same playing field. So when the consumer, the farmer or rural home buyer is out looking for property, they'll be able to get it. Really appreciate your insight on this complicated topic. Gentlemen, we've been talking to Mark Scanlon, Senior Vice President of Ag and Rural Affairs with IC. CBA and Alan Keller, SVP of Legislative Policy. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure to join you, Mike. And folks, stay tuned. When we return, Ken Zuckerberg of CoBank will join us with a look at how Ukraine impact egg world over the summer. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, wheat and corn remain under some pressure early on Wednesday with wheat down sharply as some mild optimism is evident over the Russia-Ukraine continued peace talks, although the attack on Ukraine key cities, that remains in force. A lot of worry about whether or not a crop will get planted in Ukraine. Many locals expect a 40% decrease in acreage, but it seems to be more of a wild guess. Now, on the soybean side, we see the soybeans are excited that China has pledged to provide financial support to its markets despite newly enacted COVID restrictions. So that is a good sign. The soy market, soy complex has been mostly higher here through much of the overnight into this morning. Now, it's also Fed Day on Wall Street with the added ingredient of peace talk progress, as I mentioned, 
Now that has Wall Street a bit more upbeat to start the day, although today's key will be how we finish following this afternoon's Fed activity and what comments they have to say about inflation, interest rates, etc. Crude oil prices are bouncing with stocks this morning as we see crude oil up 93 cents a barrel, 97.39. The Dow Jones up 419 points. Looking at a few of the grain numbers here as we work through our morning trade, we see May corn right now. That is down 13 to three quarters, 744 to quarter. December corn down six to three quarters, 644 to half. May beans up 15 to three quarters, 1674 to half. November up 12, 1479. May bean meal up 390 a ton, 48790. May bean oil up 114 points, 7482. May Chicago wheat down 50 at a quarter, 1104. May Kansas City wheat down 48, 1109 and a half. May spring wheat down 36 at a quarter, 1074. Cattle and hogs are higher. April hogs up 190, 104.30. March feeder cattle up 70, 157.05. April live cattle up 40, 141.25. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, and we have been talking a lot about the battle over in Ukraine between Russia and that country and just the impacts it is having on agriculture. Boy, they are widespread. Joining me today to help break these down is Ken Zuckerberg. He's the lead feed and grain economist at CoBank. Ken, thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Great to be with you today. Let's talk first. We're seeing some potential talks of peace over in Ukraine. We had President Zelensky address Congress today asking for more money for weapons, which might not sound like the prelude to peace. But Ken, as you look at the situation over there in Eastern Europe, what's your assessment of the situation on the ground today? Well, Mike, I mean, how much time do you have, right? We have some short-term positives that you mentioned, and certainly I think all of us hope for a uh, uh, a very quick piece. However, that's uh, not, uh, you know, our working assumption at the moment. Um, we have a uh, uh, leader in the form of Putin that has clearly stated his intentions to be uh, deeper, broader, and more comprehensive in terms of uh, bringing uh, the former Soviet Union together. And as we, you know, bring this back to the grain and the fertilizer space, uh, look, it's really anyone's guess as to whether or not these peace talks result in um, a near-term ceasefire. One thing that I am very sure about is volatility will continue, um, uncertainty will continue, and myself and others are very focused on um, what gets put in the ground in Ukraine in terms of the crop uh, this, this month and next month. So as you know, uh, corn and uh, barley are really focal points for us now. They certainly are. And as you mentioned, that planting season is right around the corner. Ken, as you've been talking to folks connected to this over in Europe, what's the likelihood of Ukrainian farmers being able to plant? Do you think we're going to be at 50 percent, 100 percent, zero percent? What's the trades estimate right now? Yeah. So, Mike, I've been talking to people and I don't feel comfortable making a projection. Um, I know there were out on the wires yesterday some uh, commentary about um, you know, a 40 percent uh, uh, decrease in planting. Let me just tell you how we think about it. So we obviously have a situation where farmers are uh, picking arms and defending their country. 
Um, whether or not they actually plant and plant the full crop is one question. The second question is, what if it gets in the ground? There's no fertilizer, there's no chemicals to uh, apply to the crop. And then God forbid um, uh, it gets in the ground and then we have a uh, re-escalation in three or four months. So I think it's a very difficult question to answer what the amount is getting planted. The even more difficult question is what actually gets harvested months from now? So still a lot of uncertainty. And not just what gets harvested, Ken, as you mentioned, but the next step is what gets exported. We talk talk a lot about the Ukrainian shipping situation. Of course, they have several of those ports along the Black Sea. What is the port situation as of today? So, Mike, my, my understanding is the ports are still closed. And, of course, I don't have a, uh, a crystal ball and I, I don't have a, uh, 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 you know, uh, visibility on when it opens. But I think the, the key points to watch would be as follows. First, you know, where is the fighting uh, uh, taking place? And uh, as of early this morning, I looked at one update suggesting that, uh, uh, you know, Odessa, the port of Odessa may be, uh, uh, you know, uh, there, there was not an attack there, but who knows, right? That could happen at, at different uh, points. Uh, next factor would be, are there ships going into the region? Um, you know, contacts in, in uh, London of mine, Lloyd of London, told me as recently as two days ago, uh, insurance rates are still really high and you're not going to get any ships there. So I think the working assumption that we have is that, um, you know, the disruption in export will continue. Mike, I also want to mention another point, which I can't, you know, quantify for you, but directionally it makes me worried. There were still a lot of uh, uh, grain that was waiting to be uh, uh, exported before this all started. So, you know, what is stuck in route? What's stuck in process? Uh, uh, in in pro, uh, uh, on route, what's, what's on ships that might just be, you know, wasting away? So these are all factors we're trying to think about here. They certainly are. And I'm glad you mentioned that point about even if those ports were to reopen, the private insurers are really concerned. And those rates, those insurance rates for those vessels have skyrocketed. Um, we have been talking a lot about how this is playing in the grain market so far. We've seen that volatility in grain. Scott, let's lock, look at fertilizer for a minute, because obviously this is a huge concern that Eastern Europe is a major player in the global fertilizer markets. For this year, the 2022 growing season, do you believe that we have enough fertilizer on our shores to, to meet most of the demand here as we look out to the 22 spring and summer growing seasons? So I think the answer is yes, and there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, as you know, CoBank uh, works with uh, very closely with cooperative uh, organizations in the U.S., and um, even though prices were high, uh, the co-ops uh, were managing through this period uh, acquiring product and obviously being able to resell that to uh, growers. Um, the other good news is, although it doesn't happen at the turn of a dime, but as you know, there's a lot of uh, nitrogen uh, capacity and product product. Uh, production uh, capacity here in the U.S., um, so that gives me comfort. Also, uh, Nutrien was out a week or two ago, suggesting that they had the ability to increase potash production um, out of their operations in Canada. So, net-net, I feel at least reasonably comfortable that we'll get through, um, you know, this crop season. Certainly, um, when we think about fall application, that is still a wild card. And if fall application's a wild card, Ken, I'm guessing spring 23 is a big wild card. What should producers be thinking about here a year in advance, given the volatility in fertilizer? Well, certainly, um, you know, at a producer level, this is all about being really judicious about what you plant, when you plant, how you plant, right? So I would offer a few thoughts that, um, uh, you know, uh, being very diligent about budgeting, um, thinking about uh, whether or not there's ag technology tools to help you uh, optimize your input. If there was ever a good time to optimize inputs, it would be this year. Mike, I'd also make mention something that you probably know and talk about often on the show, is that um, let's not forget about the crop protection chemicals coming out of China and India. Those are still difficult to find. So when I, you know, just step back here and I think about you have some fertilizer challenges, you have some 
chemical challenges, you know, doesn't it make sense to utilize as many um, planning tools as you can to set yourself up not only for this year, but next year and the year after as well. So that, that's kind of how we're thinking about the uh, situation. Okay, yeah, this is going to be with us for a little bit. Ken, you recently gave a webinar, and in it, you quoted Sun Tzu. Second time in a week, Sun Tzu's been quoted on this radio show. You said, in the midst of chaos, there is also opportunity. Ken, where do you see the opportunity for agriculture here in the short term? Well, for, first, Mike, and, and, you know, thank you for uh, mentioning our webinar. Um, you know, I think that uh, uh, during periods of chaos, there's always, uh, uh, you know, two reactions to be extremely nervous and to uh, uh, react or to step back and think through um, where you are positioned and, and what are uh, opportunities. Uh, not for nothing, you know, soybeans are uh, an interesting crop to think about here. Um, in addition to corn, soybeans obviously require, require less nitrogen fertilizer. Um, as you know, there has been um, uh, just a plethora of renewable diesel crush uh, initiatives and announcements. I think that, um, you know, soybean as a uh, uh, crop is very, very interesting on a go-forward basis. Um, when you have lemons, you make lemonade, right? So if we have a wheat shortage, potentially or likely because of Ukraine-Russia, um, it may be a little bit difficult for this year's uh, wheat, uh, winter wheat in the U.S. to step up and, and uh, supply, but I think we'll have a shortfall with us next year. Does that provide opportunities for U.S. to expand wheat acres? I would say it does. So these are just some of the examples of, uh, you know, where there's chaos. Sometimes there's really good opportunity. There is. And you touched on uh, soybeans and that sunflower oil. Do you think we could see an increase in sunflower acreage here domestically, uh, Ken, as you look out, given the, the massive global demand for it as a uh, vegetable uh, oil? Well, uh, you know, acres here in the states dedicated to sunflower oil obviously are very, very small. Um, however, I think uh, it goes back into the soybean discussion that if you have very, very tight veg oil markets globally, which is in fact the case, um, the opportunity to grow more soybeans, crush more oil, um, and then be able to supply that either for uh, food or fuel, I think there is indeed an opportunity there, uh, probably more on the soybean and uh, for Canadian farmers, obviously, rapeseed or what they call canola. Okay. Now, Ken, as you think about fertilizer production, USDA has announced they are going to be supporting domestic fertilizer producers looking outside the box for solutions. Do you anticipate any of those coming online here in the next year or two? So I need to do a little bit more work on that. I saw, heard the announcement. I thought it's encouraging, um, you know, exactly what they're talking about, though. I, I need to get a better understanding of um, you know, certainly uh, uh, there's a lot of debate with uh, uh, U.S. jump-starting uh, fracking again and natural gas and having that as a cheap feedstock for uh, nitrogen production. I'm going to look very carefully on what they uh, come out with, but I think it's an encouraging uh, announcement. It is good to see some innovation being developed on America's shores. Ken Zuckerberg, Chief Lead our Feed and Grain Economist with CoBank, thanks for joining us today. Pleasure, Mike. Good to see you. Bye-bye. And folks, when we return, we'll take a look at some Senate confirmation changes. Stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today 
go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. More than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at the Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Considering an online pharmacy? Explore BeSafeRx to find useful information and resources to help you purchase medicines safely online. A safe online pharmacy requires a doctor's prescription, has an address in the United States, has a licensed pharmacist, and is licensed by a state pharmacy board. It's best to stay away from online pharmacies that don't meet these criteria. Discover more helpful tips and resources at BeSafeRx. Go to FDA.gov slash BeSafeRx. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. Before I let you go for the day, there is several other pieces of news developing around the world of agriculture right now. As we mentioned, we were talking to Ken Zuckerberg there. President of Ukraine, Zelensky, had addressed Congress earlier this morning and spoke about the need for additional resources. Also, the discussions have been developing for a peace solution in Ukraine. As of right now, there is a proposal for Ukraine to become a neutral country, but it would retain its own armed forces. Apparently, there has been some positive response from the Kremlin, uh, Vladimir Putin's uh, government over there in Moscow. And now as these peace talks develop, we're seeing some of the war risks come out of the grain markets. We're seeing significant declines earlier in the day today in the wheat, corn, and soybean markets as that uncertainty comes off. Now, all of this is in preparation later on today. We will be getting an update from the Fed's Open Market Committee. This is the Board of Governors that meets to decide whether or not interest rates will rise. As of right now, as we've discussed on this show with many of our experts, the expectation is that the Fed will raise interest rates. However, there is still some uncertainty about how how much most of the trade and Jerome Powell himself in earlier comments have said we'll see a 25 basis point increase so one quarter of 1% however since Jerome spoke we have seen producer price index climb 10% year over year greater than analysts had expected we had seen home building start to soften a little bit and of course that industry is highly susceptible to interest rate increases and we're starting to see global retail sales slow which several economists are saying is a sign that perhaps we have pushed this thing too soon and should take our foot off the gas. So this will come out later on this afternoon from the Fed. Jerome Powell will speak and we will see just what the Fed is looking to do to curb what is now the hottest inflation in 40 years here in this country. We've also got some stories developing one big one. We've been tracking this for some time on the show. Mike Adams has, was following this before I took over and this is the nomination of key ag policy positions in Washington, D.C. It has been running very, very slow, as we've discussed several times. Key nominations are being uh, stalled in the Senate or they're not being set for a vote, and that is frustrating. Many lawmakers, many regulators, and also many farmers and industry participants who would like these positions filled so they can go out and do the job they are tasked with doing in the world. The most recent withdrawal came yesterday. Elaine Trevino, former president, of the California Almond Alliance was nominated to serve as the chief ag negotiator in the U.S. Trade Representative's office. This was a position held by Greg Dowd under uh, uh, President Donald Trump. Elaine Trevino would have been the new one. There was very broad industry support for Ms. Trevino's nomination. Over 170 commodity groups had sent letters urging her consideration and her vote as soon as possible. But it just didn't happen. It has now been a little over six months since Ms. Trevino was nominated, and it was announced yesterday that the delay is too much for her, and she is pulling her nomination. The White House officially rescinded it yesterday, and this means that there is now a start over for that position of the chief ag negotiator under the U.S. Trade Representative's office. Senator Charles Grassley, of course, friend of Agriculture of America, has been on several times. He has been pushing for these nominees to resume. I reached out to his office this morning for a comment on the Elaine Trevino situation, and here is what Senator Grassley said, quote, I have serious concerns about this administration not working to expand trade for the U.S. agricultural producer. We also see this administration falling behind on confirming nominees in key trading posts. U.S. Trade Representative still does not have a chief agricultural negotiator, and USDA does not have an undersecretary for trade and foreign ag affairs. With the most recent withdrawal of nominee Elaine Trevino, the Biden administration must nominate and fill these positions as soon as possible. I've spoken to several other folks in the world of global ag trade, and those sentiments have been echoed broadly. The thought is the Biden administration needs to fill these posts. We need these people out there in foreign countries pressing the flesh for American agriculture. So that's one thing that happened yesterday in the Senate. There was another thing that happened yesterday in the Senate, kind of, well, not kind of, truly a surprise for a lot of market watchers, and that's a potential change to daylight savings time. Yesterday, Senator Marco Rubio of Florida 
put a bill on the floor of the Senate, and this was a bill to make daylight savings time. So the time change we are in right now, the spring forward time change, Senator Rubio would look to make that permanent. For a lot of folks in agriculture who wake up early, this would mean that that sun in the winter would be rising an hour later than it currently does under standard time. Our friends in parts of Indiana and Arizona might not notice a change, or rather they'd notice a big change because they would adjust, I suppose, to daylight savings time fully. But this was an interesting bill. Marco put it on the floor, Senator Rubio put it on the floor, asked for unanimous consent. So this is a way to just get a voice vote. Hey, do you support this thing? He asked for it, no one objected, so it passed. So this. This bill to change daylight savings time and make it permanent, make it year round, has passed the Senate. It's already cleared one full hurdle. It is now heading into the House of Representatives. It, it Because it was a surprise, there's been very little preparation in the House, at least that I have heard of in uh, the, the folks I've reached out to so far. Nobody knows what's going to happen. If you are interested one way or the other, you want daylight savings time year round or you want standard time year round, or I suppose if you want to maintain the status quo of our two different time systems, now would be the time to reach out to your representative because that's where this bill is headed next. They will be the next place to decide, all right, if we're going to change this, what's it going to look like and how would it mesh over uh, with all of the different states? So we'll be keeping an eye on this. Farmers are up early. We know daylight matters to a lot of us. We'll bring you up to speed. We also had an announcement yesterday. A product of USA beef labeling case was dismissed um, earlier this week. It was dismissed uh, over the alleged mislabeling of beef uh, labeled as product of the US. This is a big topic. Obviously, meat labeling has been a conscientious topic for some time. Tomorrow, Jesse Allen will be hosting the show, talented farm broadcaster from the American Ag Network, and he will be speaking with Ethan Lane about this issue and how this could play out as it continues to move forward. So do be sure to tune in Thursday to AOA. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Okay, gotta be late. Gotta go, gotta go. Where'd I put... Ah, wallet. Check. And... Oh, phone. Uh, check. Keys. Check. Lunch. Check. Checking for the things you need doesn't take long. But what about checking for your safety? Right now, one in every five vehicles on the road has an open safety recall. But it only takes seconds to check for open recalls on your car at checktoprotect.org. All you need is your vehicle identification number or license plate number. Your automaker may not have the right information to notify you about recalls by mail, especially if you recently moved or drive an older or used car. Checktoprotect.org is the quick, easy way to find out if your vehicle has an open safety recall and find the closest dealer who can make the repair for free. Oh, oh, laptop. Check. Before you go, take a minute. Visit Checktoprotect.org. Check to Protect is a program of the National Safety Council.